Hello everyone and welcome back. Welcome back to season four of Passing Through the Podcast. I'm your host, Neka Julia, and it feels so ridiculously good to be saying that again. I'll save all the longer mushy stuff for the end, don't worry. But if you're an OG or a new listener and you've enjoyed the podcast, do me a favor and rate it, review it. It helps the podcast immensely. I'm so excited for what's in store this season, and without further ado, let's get into episode one of season four. In this episode, I explore the complexity of jealousy and insecurity in romance, and how at times I found repressing my feelings easier than learning how to communicate in healthy ways that are the backbone of long-lasting relationships. I hope you all enjoy episode one of season four, Passing Through Jealousy. The shatter shot thunder through my spine. I glanced at my hands, trembling, flushed, pulsing with a violent power I never knew existed. I picked up the fractured black phone and threw it again and again and again until a thousand sharp veins spread violently across its screen. God, it felt better than crying, better than shaking him awake and arguing the evidence, better than screaming until my voice grew hoarse, better than asking who the fuck Tasha was and why he'd never mentioned her. See, misery loves company, but jealousy works alone. It stalks its prey, eating with its eyes, believing everything it sees. Oh, and it's always hungry, insatiable, sucking marrow from the barest bones of betrayal. That night, it hovered over my shoulder, leaned in, pursed its lips to my ear, and whispered, You've been good. In two years, you've never gone through his phone. It's curiosity and no more. If it's nothing, you'll find nothing, but don't you think you deserve to know? I grabbed the phone, flipped it over. My heart raced, fingers typed the passcode. Unlocked, home screen, messages, nothing. Names I recognized, friends. Then, flesh, an unknown number. I clicked, scrolled up, devoured. And mind you, it could have been a colleague, his friend who got a new number, a cousin. It didn't fucking matter. When jealousy is hungry, jealousy must eat. Cam lived in another state for the entire second year of our relationship, and I'd never questioned whether or not he'd cheated. Well, that's a lie. Tiny seeds of doubt sprouted shortly after my second visit. I popped the trunk of my black-blue Jetta, dragging out a frumpy nylon duffel bag wedged between two rolls of crumpled photography backdrops and some gym clothes. Cam quickly came out to help me, my off-white headlights guiding his steps. We threw my bags on the living room rug and plopped onto the couch, tangled, laughing, I love. I wiggled into the warm, thick corner of his chest and inhaled, and it was all of ten minutes before he asked, Hey, is it cool if a few of my friends come by tomorrow morning for breakfast? His eyes glued to his phone. Yeah, not a problem. I'd love to meet them, I responded, too swiftly, coolly, nonchalantly, though a fit of nervousness formed right below my ribcage. I hadn't met any of his friends here yet. The ones he'd been raving about. The ones he'd been meeting up with for happy hours and birthday celebrations. The ones who he dog sat for. The ones who he was having rotating dinner parties at their houses with. The ones that had the group chat that made him randomly burst out laughing. The ones that saw him a disproportionate amount of time more than me. Yeah, those friends. My mind oscillated between two thoughts. Will they like me? And damn, I really gotta get up and shower for this shit. The following morning, a knock at the door. An intimate jiggle of the doorknob. Another knock at the door followed by panting and scratching that sounded more animal than human. Noises I'd never heard any delivery service make. I glanced at the center of Cam's stark white stove. 10, 10 a.m. His friends were 50 minutes early. Cam stretched, let out a low groan, and slipped his house shoes on one by one. Who goes there? He growled. 
And why are you out here knocking like the police? Boy, you know I have hot food in my hand and you're taking your sweet time, joked the high-pitched stranger on the other end. Cam laughed, flicked the top lock, swung the door open, disappearing momentarily into the sun-soaked hallway. Friends, plural, didn't come over. It was just one person, a girl, a girl named Jamie, and her blonde, shaggy-haired, happy-ass dog named Cookie. I rose from the couch to greet them, the springs creaking as if egging me on. Dang, girl, what did you bring in all these bags? Cam asked, finally emerging from the hallway, setting two brown paper bags filled to the brim on the counter. Jamie waltzed in, hair in a tight bun of neat twists, not a single strand out of place. Her eyes were the color of toffee, warm and beautiful, her face slightly freckled, bare and glowing, a chunky sweater swallowing her tiny frame. You must be NECA, she squealed, elongating the A. I've heard so much about you. Likewise, I replied. We both went in for one of those awkward half-hugs, bags of groceries, fully occupying her arms. Please, I insisted. Let me get that, gesturing towards a glass baking dish. No, no, I got it, she sang, gliding past me on the tips of her toes like a flyaway fairy toy, barely making it to the counter. Y'all just relax. I'm on breakfast duty today, she said. No, 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 I insisted. You got the groceries. I can cook some eggs, bacon, sausage, something. She shook her head profusely, waving me and Cookie out of the kitchen and back onto the couch. Now you know Cammy got the essentials, girl. Why do you think I brought all this stuff? She giggled. Too long and hard for my taste at her own quip. And yeah, maybe, just maybe my memory is embellishing, but I would bet my pinky toe that she slapped her own knee she was so tickled. Or did she snore it? Yeah, it was definitely one of the two. Cam caught a glimpse of the glassware lined with parchment paper and jerked backwards. Oh shit, is this what I think it is? He asked. Jamie balled a fist, bringing it to the pit of her mouth like a microphone, shimmying both shoulders from side to side. You gonna have to open it to find out now, ain't you? Cam keeled over. Let out a laugh that let me know this was some kind of inside joke while my ass was all the way on the outside beyond the parking lot, damn near in a different country. Even Cookie's ass looked like she knew what the hell they were talking about. Cam gently peeled back the parchment paper, closed both eyes, and punched the air, excitement pulsing through his forearms. And I kid you not, I kid you not. He physically jumped, feet off the ground, soles hovering a full two and a half inches off the hardwood floor. For joy. You would have thought the contents of whatever the hell was in that glassware were glowing, an opera of angels sounding in a warm halo etching the corners of Cam's face each time he took a peek. My struggle spaghetti, the one with the Heinz ketchup looking straight out the can sauce from the previous night, damn sure didn't make either of us do that. What? He yelled, circling back towards the dish in disbelief. I didn't think you had time to make this. Grab me a spoon right now. Jamie, spoon. Grab two, actually, because Naka's got to try this. Babe, he yelled eyes still fixed on the pudding. You got to come taste this. Jamie spikes it with rum. It tastes just like my grandma's legit some of the best I ever had. Jamie tucked her chin in, blushing, waving him off with a smooth flick of her finger. She proceeded to empty an endless Mary Poppins-sized bag of bakeware and groceries for a family of five. I tried my damnedest to keep my eyes fixed on the TV, waiting for the unpacking to end, but Jamie was humming Frankie Beverly so loudly and twirling gracefully from cabinet to stove, I just kept on peeking. Now, it wasn't the Mary Poppins-sized bag that triggered my spidey senses. It was her familiarity with the kitchen. This girl knew where the pots and pans were, the silverware, measuring cups, the saran wrap. I didn't even know Cam owned measuring cups, and I was almost positive he thought saran wrap was a spa treatment. So, naturally, comparison crept in. So forceful and sudden, it didn't even look like jealousy. It wasn't side eyes and silent treatments, or me too's, or the cracking corners of a smile. It reared its ugly little head as a sorry, unconscious attempt at mirroring. 
I tried to match her peppiness, suppressing yawns and forcing conversations. I laughed at their inside jokes like I was there, and pretended I was way more excited to be awake before 10am than I actually was. How long have you lived in Illinois? I asked, trying to make small talk, my voice a whole octave higher. I got here, I think about two, three months after Cam, I think, she said, looking at Cam for confirmation. Yeah, it had to be only a few weeks after I got settled, Cam confirmed. I already told Nikki you're an astronaut, he continued. You are stupid, she yelled. I am not an astronaut. Well, then tell her what your degree is in, then, Cam insisted. Okay, sure. I studied, insert a major I would never remember if my life depended on it. Let's just call it the Neil deGrasse Tyson ass degree. And now I work at a lab she said, scrunching her nose, shooting a playful look across the room, then back at the scrambled eggs. Now, I've never actually had an issue with any of my romantic interests having friends of the opposite sex. I've found it, when genuine, surprisingly comforting. It's allowed me to view the person I'm dating through a different lens, sometimes sharper and, and more transparent. And I learned a lot from my relationship with Chris, the ex from the London episode who had me eating the butt of the bread. His many escapades behind my back and right in front of my face taught me to at least begin to trust my intuition. Words like friend or bestie or acquaintance or coworker or cousin's uncle's sister are fixed, but body language is fluid. There was one instance with a particular friend that always replays in my mind like a slow motion scene from a low budget coming of age movie. I awkwardly walked into the party Chris is throwing at his dad's house, drastically underdressed in a tattered gray soccer hoodie and low-rise jeans. Music was blaring, no hand in the room was without a red cup or blunt or cigarette. Sweaty bodies congregated in every single corner. I was still fresh to donning the title girlfriend, so only a handful of people recognized me. I made a right towards the kitchen, curling a whisk of overly flattened leave out behind my ear. Chris saw me and quickly stopped what looked like mindless conversation with a few of his teammates, excused himself, and called my name. The music went muted, kind of basement muffled. The lowering of everything else in the room when someone you think you love is calling one of the most precious things you own. He walked towards me, wrapped me in a hug, whispered, what took you so long, and kissed my neck and cheek. He still wrapped around me when a bony finger appeared on his shoulder, tapped twice. He released me and half turned around, revealing who tapped over his right shoulder. Now, if this was a higher budget coming of age movie, the music would have changed to something sultry and dangerous. They would have shown her torso first, all 16 abs and a bejeweled belly button edged by a low-rise denim miniskirt. Then the camera would pan up to her lips, a smirk growing, and her cheeks dented with two dimples. Then her eyes locked in, sparkling, love-struck, only for Chris. The same muted basement muffle happening in her head, too. I naively wait for an introduction, pulling at the strings of my sweatshirt while she leaned in, her red cup and black and mild perch comfortably, familiarly, on his shoulder. She slid in, six-pack first, and whispered something I couldn't decipher. She laughed. He didn't. He turned to me abruptly, realizing that not making the introduction made it seem suspicious, not knowing I hadn't been hurt in enough relationships yet to know suspicion by look or touch or smell. This is my friend Tara, he mumbled. Tara, this is uh, my girlfriend, Neka. I stuck out my hand. She paused before taking it with barely four fingers. I watched shock pool in Tara's eyes. That's when I should have known. Her smirk cracked. She took a pull of her black and mild, exhaled through her nose, nodded, and swiftly mumbled, nice to meet you, before turning back to Chris and telling him she'd catch him later. Meeting Tara was much different than meeting his platonic friend, Chelsea, who came up shortly after my exchange with Tara, swimming past Chris and straight to me. 
I've heard so much about you, she screamed, pulling me into a hug. Now, if this was a high-budget movie, they'd change the music to something warm and welcoming. They'd start at Chelsea's face, her eyes closed tight as she squeezed me, then it would pan to her hands, gently rubbing my back, then wrapping around my hip where it stayed. Ugh, you're so pretty. Tell me what would make you crazy enough to be with this guy, she asked, gesturing to Chris. Ugh, Nick, uh, meet my good friend. Best friend, Chelsea interjected. One of my best friends, Chris corrected. Chelsea. I met a lot of Taras and a handful of Chelsea's while dating Chris, each one teaching me to trust an almost animalistic ping at the center of my gut. It raises your heart rate with threats and soothes your entire soul when a stranger feels like kin. When Chris called me on some innocuous Sunday of my senior year to tell me that he cheated, and I'd stupidly asked how many girls and who, take a wild guess who the first name on the list was. I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Sarah. Now, does all of this mean that in a brand new relationship with Cam that I could actually communicate my concern or suspicion in a constructive, articulate, non-break-his-phone-at-2am after stumbling into the apartment trunk type way? Absolutely not. I couldn't call it with Jamie, and it made me uneasy and insecure and envious. Jamie's shaggy-haired dog, Cookie, comfortably wandered in and out of her rooms while we all talked and finally settled at my feet. Cam stretched out on the single seat beside me, plopping his leg onto my lap. The shaggy dog leaped up, landing on Cam's chest, happily licking his face. You've been here too, haven't you, dog? I thought, bobbing out of the way to avoid getting slapped in the face by Betrayal's tail. I don't think Cam told me what you do, Jamie said, opening the oven to check on the bacon. Oh, I work with my family business. My dad, well, we own a human services organization. We provide in-home care for the developmentally disabled and the mentally ill population in our county. Oh, okay, wow. She replied, that's interesting work, she continued, in an each one teach one type of tone. How do you like it? I enjoy it. The business is finally doing well. I'm just itching to do something more creative. All right, uh, y'all, plates are over here. Eggs here, guac, bacon, pancakes, whipped cream, and of course, the pudding, she sung, enthusiastically pointing to each dish, stepping back and nodding her apron and growing increasingly pleased with her spread. She slid a slice of bacon between two fingers, ripping the greasy pork in half with her two front teeth. Dig in, y'all. Cam filled his plate to the brim, pecking the tips of his fingers as he pushed sliding pancakes back to the center. I scooped a small portion of eggs, two slices of bacon, and a single pancake, skipping the infamous banana pudding. Girl, put some whipped cream on those pancakes. She grabbed another spoon and plopped a dollop on top of my pancake. Don't be shy. And I kid you not, the very second that fluffy white shit left the silver of that spoon, I came back to my senses. It's like it powered up the sardonic self that was lulled to sleep by all the small talk. Ah, I said wincing. I'm actually allergic to whipped cream. I break out into these golf ball sized hives. I whispered, leaning in and itching my neck for dramatic effect all over my body. Oh my goodness, she squealed. I am so, so sorry. Let me take, take it off. Here, hand me the- Jamie, I'm just kidding, I said, laughing. The whipped cream is fine. Thank you. She didn't know what to make of me or my sense of humor for the rest of breakfast. You know, sarcasm not being her thing and all. And I preferred it that way. When she left, Cam and I changed back into our pajamas and crawled back into bed. I laid my head on the tender part of his bicep and watched him scroll through his phone. Who are you texting? I finally asked. Just a group chat, he said, flashing me a screen. You know all the people who moved, most of us Greek from the same universities. We, we had this group chat. We want to grab wings or something after work or someone's hosting dinner or whatever. We just drop it here. That's nice, I lied. Is Jamie in it? Yeah, he laughed. It was her idea. Hmm, I humped. Does she go over to everyone's house and cook breakfast when their girlfriends are in town? 
I finally asked, fishing for a confession like my life depended on it. Cam looked down, flipping his phone onto his chest. Girl, what are you trying to say? She is just nice. She has a boyfriend. I'm sure she actually would do that for everyone. That's just the type of person she is. Trust me on this. Cam was so undeniably earnest. The opposite of Chris. It would have made me look crazy not to believe him. Everyone who he'd introduced as a platonic friend had been at Chelsea. There were no pauses or forefinger handshakes. It was all women who knew him and loved him beyond romance. With Jamie, that animal part of me smelled a thimble of blood in the water from a hundred miles away. Maybe what Cam and I had was too stable in comparison to the past and I wanted to feel the thrill of being dropped out of the sky a thousand times again. But I could never go back to that. So I let it go. And by letting it go, I mean I stalked all of her social media platforms to infinitum. On Facebook, there wasn't a single photo of her and her boyfriend, but there were an inordinate amount of solo shots where she was flashing all 600 of her teeth, and she liked standing in front of national monuments for some reason. On Instagram, mostly pictures of Cookie, Cookie in the bath, treats she made Cookie, Cookie taking a walk, Cookie winning a ribbon. Girl, just make a separate page. Ah, one photo of her boyfriend. The blurriest one on her feed. You can barely see his face. On Twitter, a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson-ass retweets, and an old college alum website. I didn't see Jamie in the rest of the group chat until a few weeks later over a long holiday weekend. I drove down with Cam's sister and one of his best friends, my relationship with both of them blossoming beautifully. No conversation or time spent contingent on Cam being present, which is a rarity. I saw them and they saw me. We stretched our limbs outside Cam's complex and walked in, groceries in hand. There were already a few people working on an adult punch, glasses being clinked, oranges being squeezed, and different liquors being mixed, while others were setting up games in the living room. My eyes searched for Jamie in between hellos and it's nice to meet you's, but she was nowhere to be found. Then I heard a faint yell. Finally! Y'all bring the meat for the burgers! Jamie was out back with an apron tightly wound around her waist, spatula in hand, sweat beads dotting her brow, on full grill duty. I'd agreed the previous week to make a turkey burger recipe that I found online, taking a stab at it the evening before we left to make sure it was edible for the party. Show did, yelled Cam's friend, signaling towards the turkey meat I had wrapped in a brown paper bag. She stabbed the charcoals with a stick, feigning wild smoke with her free hand. Okay, she replied. Well, get to mixing and come back here and hand me some patties. I found a corner of the kitchen and quickly chopped up some onions, bell peppers, and garlic. I grabbed the ketchup from the fridge, squeezed, added pepper, salt, garlic powder, something that looked like dried basil, plopped the meat in a glass bowl, massaged, folding and rolling the patties and placing them back on the baking sheet to give Cam's friend to give to Jamie. I patted my forehead with a damp towel as if I'd just conquered Rome. I grabbed two glasses, poured Cam's sister an ice and punch, and went to sit on the couch. Jamie stormed through the screen door 20 minutes later with a tray of hot dogs, brats, and what looked like hamburger helper. The burgers I'd so delicately balled and flattened into patties now were in tatters. Ooh, what was you out there grilling? Someone asked. We got some jalapeno brats, hot dogs, and these burgers just fell apart once I put them on the grill. That's why I never used turkey meat. Whoever made these should have used real meat. She added a small laugh at the end of that sentence, and my jealousy declared full-fledged war. Thought it had collected enough recon with the group chat giggles and the dog sitting and the breakfast cooking and the banana pudding and the blurry photo of the so-called boyfriend on Instagram. In Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, he coins a cognitive bias called What You See Is All There Is, where when a person is presented with evidence, especially those that confirm their limited mental models, they do not question whether evidence might be missing. All I could see from that point forward was exactly what I wanted to. 
ignoring Cam's apathy and obliviousness, however earnest, and my own insecurity and lack of communication. The party dispersed and everyone was going to reconvene at the club downtown in the next few hours. We gotta be out of here in the next hour or so, y'all, yelled Cam from the living room. Jamie and a few of her line sisters are going to come over early pregame and we can head out from here. I rolled my eyes, trying to stay steady as I applied my mascara. I slipped on a short black and white American apparel dress and rummaged through my overnight bag for some heels. Cam's sister and I swapping a pair as we finalized our looks. A knock at the door. An intimate jiggle of the doorknob. Another knock at the door. Jamie and three of her line sisters filed into the house. A blur of lukewarm hellos and half-hugs. Jamie had a handful of tote bags and, after a few hellos, beelined to Cam to ask him a question. The pregame commenced and I didn't pay her much attention, letting my chosen enemy out of sight. We were all drinking and laughing and joking before Cam's friend checked his watch and called two cabs. Every girl gathered around the one entryway mirror to freshen up while I slipped back into the bedroom to reapply some lip gloss. When I opened the bedroom door, I nearly tripped on the same totes Jamie carried in, neatly placed right next to my overnight bag with her jacket and heels. My body tensed up, thunder shooting through my spine, fire in my chest. Why would she be the only one to put stuff in Cam's bedroom? Shit our bedroom when I'm here. I poked my head out the room to see if I could discreetly call Cam in to point out this atrocity. Instead, I saw her laughing with her entire neck in slow motion next to Cam on the couch where I'd been sitting. I grabbed my phone coat and the keys to my black-blue Jetta and bolted outside, started the ignition, trying my hardest to blink away a fit of tears and panic. I was so worked up I couldn't even tell the difference between drive or park or reverse. They wouldn't even notice you're gone, said Anger. Fuck them and fuck this pregame. Just drive the four hours home and send a text saying you're done. I pulled the clutch and hit the gas so violently I crashed straight into the curb. The front bumper of my Jetta caving in, smoke rising from the engine. I flung the door open, ran to the front, examined. Said fuck under my breath, ran back into the car, tried to start it, and it stalled. I hit the steering wheel so hard the horn sounded and it scared me into another fit of sobbing and laughing. My phone buzzed. Cam. I pressed silence. My phone buzzed again. Cam's sister. I pressed silence. My phone buzzed a third time. Cam's friend. I pressed silence. My phone buzzed a fourth time. Cam. I answered. Girl, where the hell are you? We're about to go. Come on now. I took three deep breaths. I just went outside to get some air. I'll be right there. I sniffled, flipping the mirror down and wiping the streaks of mascara with the sleeve of my coat. It was so dark, no one would notice I'd been crying. Cam's sister put her arm around me when we got into the club, asked, is everything okay? I answered as cryptically as I could, knowing Cam was still her brother. She ordered a pair of gin and tonics, poking the lime into the fizz with a cherry red straw. Talk to him, she said. One thing I'll say about my brother, he isn't playing dumb. He really probably doesn't know how you feel. He cares about you. He'll take note and make the necessary adjustments. I shook my head, laughed. Or maybe it's all in my head, I mumbled. She shot me a look, scrunching her lips. Mm, I don't know. Sometimes you gotta trust your intuition, not the crazy thoughts and all that. I'm talking about trusting that thing in your gut, she said, shrugging. Talk to him. The night I broke Cam's phone when I read the thread from the unknown number, I looked through Jamie's first. I scowled for anything that would confirm my bias, but nothing was found. An exchange of work stuff here, an outing for the group chat there. She definitely had an affinity for Cam, but nothing he was directly returning. At least through text messages. The unknown number was someone he'd never mentioned. A variable I didn't consider. She apologized for coming on too strong the first night they met in one bubble and asked if he'd like to come over and get a massage in another, followed by a string of extremely tacky selfies. You know I can't do that, he responded. 
Last song of the night, the DJ yelled. I leaned shakily on one of the brown pleather bar stools, Cam's friend sitting next to me. The dance floor was clearing out, wobbly ankles exchanging numbers with sweat-stained button-ups. Go Pele's Closer to My Dreams came on, fading in slowly, a soft spotlight appearing in the center. Jamie squealed and ran out to the dance floor, starting a Detroit hustle to the beat. She looked in the crowd, extended her arm out, pulled whoever she spotted with an imaginary rope. Cam emerged, taking her hand and twirling her into the next move, his fingers resting just above her waist, their movements perfectly in sync. Her smirk grew, two dimples dotting her cheeks, her eyes locked in, sparkling, love-struck, only for Cam. They looked beautiful. Now that's not weird to you? I asked, turning to Cam's friend. Would you do that with someone you were just friends with in front of their girlfriend? Girl, Cam's friend laughed. Don't think too much about it. I swigged the last sip of my second gin and tonic, scoffed. Man, fuck her banana pudding, I whispered into the black. Thank you all so much for listening to the first episode of season four of Passing Through the Podcast. Your support, your love, your likes, your shares, your reviews. All of it means more than I can even articulate. And what you can do, what you can do as a lovely listener to support this podcast is simply like, rate, and review on whatever platform that you're listening to. It helps more than you can even imagine. All of the support, even during the hiatus of the podcast, we've been through a whole pandemic. Things have happened, y'all. Stories have happened. And I'm very excited to be sharing it with you. The podcast has caught up to me, so... The stories moving forward are very much so recent and it's new, it's fresh, and I I think we all owe it to our younger selves, our former selves, and for those who come after us to continue to share our stories, to continue to share the lessons that we've learned. I want to thank you for listening to mine. Rate, review, like, share, comment. I appreciate you and thank you so much, and we will see you next Sunday for episode two.